Hello, Clash fans, and welcome to episode 11 of Inside Clash. I am your host, the legendary Trample Damage himself. And I'm going to tell you, the episode is titled, You're Doing Great. And I just want to hop up briefly on my motivational soapbox to tell you that you are doing better than you probably give yourself credit for. That likely applies in life as well as in Clash. We are going to focus on the Clash side of this, though. You might be the kind of person who gets upset about a one-star in Clan War League, and maybe it ruins your day or just puts you in a bad mood or makes you feel bad. You might also be somebody who feels the same way after a 54% two-star because you wanted a higher damage percentage. Or you're somebody who feels that way after a a 99% two-star because you should have had the triple, and you start thinking about what you should have done differently, what you could have done differently, instead of focusing on all the stuff that you are already doing great at. The motivation behind this is something that we'll talk about as we get into the episode, uh, in addition to some tips that I have for those of us who want to continue doing great and continue to improve, I have some tips on things we could do in Clan Wars to make our teams a little bit more successful and also give ourselves a better chance for some success. Then we will get into the really exciting part of the show, where we talk about some kind of mathematical something or other, and today's episode we're going to talk about how Clan trophies are calculated, because I actually think most people probably could not tell you how a clan's trophy count is calculated if their clash lives depended on it. And then, of course, we will get into our questions from the audience. I sit alone atop my tower, raining down my wizard power, pouring lightning bolts and fireballs on anyone who comes to call. But I need to pee, so... I need another troop to come and relieve me I've held it all day and Pretty soon there will be a stream of elixir running down my leg The motivation for this episode came from as I was doom-scrolling, which is a new term I learned, I was doom-scrolling on TikTok and I saw something from a comedian named Tom Papa. I've seen a few of his performances before and I often see clips of him on TikTok because I watched some of them and then they show me more and then then they keep showing me more. But it was actually an interview where he was talking about what I assume was the genesis behind one of the performances he did, which I believe he also titled You're Doing Great or You Are Great, something like that. And he was essentially just talking about how we are probably doing a much better job than we actually give ourselves credit for. And I would like to play a very brief clip from that for you here. So let's go here. I think you have to cut yourself some slack. Like, we're all working very hard. We're all doing the best that we can. And you start to feel like you're not doing enough or you're failing At the time that I heard that, I instantly thought of a couple of clanmates that I have and myself when I think about how much of a hard time we give ourselves for failing to reach perfection in a clan war or – I mean I know people that do this to themselves in all facets of their lives. But I do want to focus on the Clash of Clans piece because the truth is, especially if you're listening to a podcast about Clash of Clans, you're probably somebody who thinks about your armies and tries really hard and puts out a good effort. And the truth is most of us are not playing for professional esports teams and we aren't going to be delivering triples all the time, but we are working really hard, and we, I honestly believe, fail to give ourselves enough credit for that. 
this is definitely something where Clash of Clans, much like anything, like we constantly reset our expectations, right? Earlier on in the game or at some point in, a, in, a, in an understanding of how a strategy works, you start making the attack and you get to finally you're getting consistent two stars. And then you want to creep up the damage percentage. You want to be over 70%. Then you want to be over 80%. Then you want to be tripling every single time you make it. And it's okay to have a growth mindset. I know I do. I know many of you do as well. But it's also okay sometimes to recognize our limits and to work within those. Because honestly, we can benefit our clans very heavily, sometimes just working within the confines of what we believe to be our limits. I think sometimes people set these higher expectations for themselves to deliver a three-star at, say, Town Hall 15, when they don't feel incredibly confident about the base layout. And honestly, the best bet to do in that scenario would be to tell your clanmates, hey, you know what? I don't think that I can three-star this, but if I go for a three-star strategy, I am definitely going to be at risk of getting a one-star. And to be honest, most of the time in a clan war, I would rather that my clanmate levels with me, tells me that, and then just takes a shot at a really safe two-star, even if it's only going to be a 65 or 70% damage, because especially in clan war league, when nobody can come behind to help clean that up, I would much rather the two-star than the one-star. The truth is, as we play this game, we tend to gravitate toward people that have a similar skill level, that have similar expectations about the game. So for the most part, you find yourself thinking, oh man, I'm really stressed, I hope I get three stars on this, but I, I don't think I'm going to be able to because I hate Town Hall 15. And yes, thank you, thank you, Supercell, for the Apprentice Warden and for the Super Hog Rider and for new levels on a bunch of our favorite troops because it has definitely made Town Hall 15 easier, but it is still very hard for most of us. We will have plenty of really skilled Town Hall 15 players that will go through an entire week of Clan War League with no three stars, and that's okay because we're probably trying really hard, we're probably working really hard, and we just sometimes wind up falling up short. But there are so many more pieces to this game. There is the opportunity to even be in war. Sometimes people are like, oh, I'm going to opt out because I just don't think I'm going to do great. The truth is, if you're opted out, we might only have nine people for war, which means we have to cut out four other people who'd like to play. Or maybe we just feel like that's too small of a war. We'll wait until more people are opted in. Having people that participate in clan games, having people that help in the clan capital, that post friendly challenges, that tinker with new strategies, that donate clan castle troops, that chat with us to make the game more enjoyable. I know we're never going to have global chat back, but having clanmates that like to shoot the breeze sometimes can be something that honestly makes our day so much more than even delivering a good attack for the clan in clan war or even in clan war league. So I strongly, strongly urge all of you to take a moment and celebrate yourselves, celebrate your strengths, celebrate your successes, recognize your limits, and don't beat yourself up so badly. I will tell you that even since first conceiving the idea for what I was going to do for this podcast, I mentioned something about it to at least six different people, all of whom said something along the lines of, yeah, I probably should cut myself some slack a little bit more. That's actually a great point. And I have at least five or six other people who I've seen engage in some kind of self-destructive angry behavior because they didn't necessarily reach the expectation that they set for themselves. That being said... Here are five things that I'm going to tell you that I think will be very helpful for clan war to be helpful for your clan. The first one, lower bases should attack early in clan war, bar none. There's no reason. Now, low bases might mean different things, right? In some clans, low bases are your town hall 14s. In some clans, low bases really just means the attackers that tend to have less skill, the ones that are a little bit less capable of being versatile and cleaning up. 
In some clans, the lower bases might mean Town Hall 6, 7, and 8, and you've got Town Halls 9 and 10. They're going to be cleaning up attacks. It might be Town Halls 12, 13, who knows. The bottom line is you have 24 hours to attack. The first half of the clan war, realistically, the bottom half of the bases, if not the bottom two-thirds of the bases, really should have made both of their attacks. And this is, I will speak specifically for the good guys clan family. I always like people. Now, look, if the, the lowest base in war that you have is a Town Hall 10 and the enemy has a Town Hall 9 or 8 or 7, of course, they're going to be easy. You're going to be having to drop to lower Town Halls. But ideally, you would work from the bottom up on your on your side. The lowest powered army would attack first and second. The next lowest powered army would attack third and fourth, and you would just keep moving up. And you keep taking shots at other bases that are comparable town hall levels. Of course, you still need to keep in mind, like, if, if it's a really weird mismatch that doesn't necessarily always mean exactly what it should, because sometimes your lower town halls are just going to have to hit up for two stars against somebody else. But if the lower bases attack early, it gives higher bases a chance to dip down and clean up, and it also does something else. Let's say that you're the, the only, there's only one town hall 11 left to attack, and you are a town hall 11 attacker, but you don't necessarily think you're going to get three stars against it honestly from my perspective i want people to attack that base anyway because it just gives them more practice and more opportunities to meet with war scenarios with good base layouts good clan castle troops and legitimate practice i'd rather them do that than just waste their time scouting but let's say that all of your town halls are cleared or you're somebody who really just 100 percent knows this base is outside of my skill set even though it's my same town hall so if you do have zero chance of getting a, a three-star in your town hall, then attack a town hall that's higher than yours and make sure that you're luring the clan castle troops, that you're trying to figure traps. If you can communicate with one of your clan mates, ask them if they think they're going to attack, like, if, oh, they want to attack base seven. You say, hey, what kind of army are you planning on doing? If they're planning a ground army, don't attack it with a bunch of dragons because it might not necessarily pull clan castle troops in the same way. It might not necessarily pull traps in the same way. So if they say, hey, I'm going with a ground and pound army from the northeast side, then put a bunch of giants and wizards from the northeast side and do exactly what they're going to do but with weaker troops so that they can get a lay of the land. If they're going with air troops, then, you know, make sure that you're using air troops. If they're going to use a battle blimp, send it in from the same direction they're sending it in so that you can maybe find that tornado trap because tornado traps are so dangerous for battle blimps. So that's rule number one. That's uh, tip number one. Have low bases attack earlier. My second suggestion, which I almost bundled into the first one, is... Everybody should learn how to two-star town halls that are above you, whether it's one level above, like a 12 attacking a 13, or maybe three levels above, like an 11 attacking a 14, or even five levels above if you're a 10 who's trying to attack a 15. Everybody should try to find strategies that allow them to defeat higher town halls. And when I say defeat, I don't mean three stars. I mean solid two stars. And by solid, I mean 50%. That's all you need in those scenarios. Especially, and I'll probably talk about this on another podcast, like cool strategies for Clan War League in terms of dips and reaches with multiple town hall levels involved. But if you can get two stars consistently against higher town halls, that is such a boon to your clanmates. I'm telling you, the number one rule for this, sneaky goblins. Number two, baby dragons. Almost always you can use a blimp to be able to get to the town hall to be able to deliver the town hall piece, and then some archers, some sneaky goblins, some minions, or some baby dragons, and you can clean up enough detritus on the outside, plus use your heroes to pound through a few defenses to be able to reach that 50%. 
If you are somebody who is able to two-star higher bases, I've seen this plenty of times where you trade up, right? Town Hall 14, two stars are 15, and lets a 15 drop down to clean something else. Now, usually this only happens when the Town Hall 14 fell asleep at the wheel and failed to follow suggestion number one, which is attacking early, but that's a story for another time. My third suggestion is always have a plan for how you're going to manage the key defenses and the clan castle troops. And you should be able to talk it out to yourself. And just say to yourself ahead of time, I'm going to do this. First, I'm going to put these troops here. I'm going to put these troops here. This is how I'm planning on handling the town hall. This is how I'm planning on handling the poison spell tower or the rage spell tower. And this can be true even if you are a very conservative town hall 15 who feels like you can never three-star, and you're literally going to plan on ignoring a full quarter of the base as you work your way toward a 75% two-star, just have a plan for how you will respond to possibly traps coming up, possibly clan castle troops that are a little bit different. But if you can talk out your strategy to yourself ahead of time going in, you are actually setting yourself up for so much more success. Suggestion number four. Ask somebody else in your clan their opinion on what you're planning on doing. You can hop on a voice chat with Discord. You can send them a picture with some notes. You can just try typing it out in text. That takes much longer. Trust me, I've done all of these. Hopping on a Discord call, so much easier. You can even screen share and show them exactly what you're talking about. But if you just ask somebody their opinion, part of the nice thing, and I'm, <laughs> I'm going to say this like not as a cover your ass type of thing, but let's say that you know I have a plan that I'm thinking about doing, and it's kind of a harebrained plan. And I get Congressman Cool Rick on the horn. I'm like, hey, Congressman Cool Rick, I have this harebrained idea that I'd like to try for Clan War League. And he says, hey, lay it out. And I lay it out, and he eventually says, hey, it seems like it could work. Then if I mess it up and I fail, I can at least feel like, well, you know what, though? He bought off on the plan, so at least one other person thought it was a good idea. And the truth is, at the end of the day, while your clanmates might be disappointed if you wind up getting one star. They're also going to be understanding because they have all done it as well. We have all been there. But talk it out with somebody. That's a, actually, you know, lots of camaraderie. You got good buddies in your clan. It's a great idea to just simply lay out your plan. And if you cannot articulate to your clanmate what you plan on doing, maybe it's not as good of an attack idea as you were having, but you never know until you give it a shot. And let me see. That's one, two, three for what's the last one the last oh uh aha, one stars the last one is always try to have a backup plan to secure a two-star attack so you know we're we're into we're about halfway through clan war league right now and unfortunately in the good guys this month for august of 2023 we have had one stars every single war so far and it definitely has hampered our ability to continue a winning streak but it is something that is not necessarily something that has to happen right and what i mean here is a lot of times people are like oh well you know they, they hear have a backup plan for the town hall like oh yeah i have a backup plan for it but what they mean is i'm just gonna really really hope that the town hall goes down or i'm very confident that my plan is gonna work so i don't even need a backup plan and I will use a Hydra attack as the perfect example for this. When I'm thinking about a guaranteed two-star, like if somebody says, hey, Trample, two stars will win the war. Most of the time, I'm not using a Hydra attack because most of the time I am using a Hydra attack, I am unloading the majority of my troops on the opposite side of the base, and I am relying very heavily on my blimp to take out the town hall. That's okay, because I frequently will wind up getting three stars, but that's not exactly the most surefire methodology for securing the town hall in case something goes sideways. Now, what I mean by this is, 
If you are somebody who is perhaps a bit more prone to running into one star sometimes, when you are making an attack that's going to be coming across the base or even attacking against a ring base, make sure that you hang on. Mentally prepare for the possibility that your troops miss the town hall. Plan to send your royal champion in a little bit later. Plan to save a few balloons or a few hog riders or a freeze spell or an invisibility spell. Plan to have some some kind of backup so that if your blimp misses the town hall or if your flame flinger gets trashed by a skeleton trap that you failed to trigger, have something available mentally. Say to yourself, if... Like, if your primary plan, again, we go back to number three, two, number three of talking out your plan, whatever your plan is that you have, ask yourself, if my plan for securing the town hall fails, what is the backup plan? Because I will tell you, hope is not a good strategy. Yeah, I really just hope that I can still get the town hall. Not a great strategy. Have an actual plan for what will happen if your flame flinger misses the town hall or if your blimp misses the town hall. Think about what is the worst case scenario of where you're putting your blimp. If you're going for a super archer attack, super archer blimp, and your super archer blimp is responsible for the town hall, plan for there to be a potential fail and think about how you will completely reshape your entire attack to be able to pick up that second star. And I've seen this happen before. People send a blimp in toward the core. Super archers get smoked by a scattershot or a double giant bomb or a tornado trap makes the blimp land a little bit differently than you wanted to. And then, then some, you know, some giant bombs wind up taking out your super archers. At that point, you should not be thinking about the possibility of still getting three stars. You should accept that your your attack is completely ruined and wasted and divert all of your attention to simply salvaging the two star. And a lot of times what this will mean is using your king plus a portion of your army on one corner of the base and your warden with a portion of your army on another part of the base to very clearly funnel toward the town hall so that your archer queen, your royal champion, and a few other troops, along with maybe some invisibility spells in that example of a super archer blimp, can make it happen. I've seen some of my clanmates do an amazing job with this, and unfortunately sometimes it still results in a one star because they missed the town hall anyway, or because they had to commit so many troops to the funneling that they wind up falling short of the second star because they get the town hall, but only 47 or 48 percent of the base. But no matter what, you just need to have a mental plan because at the end of the day, we're all going to have attacks that go poorly. And the more closely you prepare yourself for the outcome of a one star, the more comfortable you'll feel. Because honestly, I I wind up feeling really good. Like if I have a blimp fail and I still secure the two star, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm no longer thinking like, man, I'm bummed out. I only got a 70% two star. I'm like, hot diggity. I managed to secure the two star after I thought that whole attack was going sideways. So there are five tips, and all five of those tips can absolutely support the the notion of this entire podcast episode, which is to remember that you are doing great. You are trying, you are working hard, you're being conscientious, and if you're not doing any of that stuff, if you're not trying, if you're not thinking about it, and then you're giving yourself a hard time, I would say, I don't know, you're some kind of masochist, because if you don't actually want to do better, and you're not trying to do better, you really shouldn't be holding your so accountable for bad attacks like you should just recognize like I don't really try very hard at this so I'm I'm not actually expecting really great positive outcomes hopefully you are doing a more positive mix of practicing and then subsequently forgiving yourself so with that we are going to move along to the slightly more mathematical although this isn't exactly like formulas and equations and stuff that we're going to be putting in here but every clan has a clan trophy count and you'll see at the end of the month you know it'll say like the top three clans get some number of gems for the top 
few people in each of those clans. And very few people actually realize how those trophies are calculated. You might think, erroneously, that it is simply the sum of the trophy count of all members in your clan. But you can quickly disabuse yourself of this notion if you take a look at simply the top 10 or 15 players in your clan. They may very well account for, if you just sum up all of their trophies, they might account for 80-90% of the trophies that your clan is housing. And that's going to give you an indication that there's something more afoot here. There is a precise formula that is placed, and it places more priority and more focus on the top attackers in the clan. So if your top attackers are really, really, really high trophy counts and your lowest attackers are very low trophy counts, you could still very well be one of the highest ranking clans in the world. Here's how it breaks down. The top 10 clans, each of those bases, we look at their trophy count and we take 50% of their trophies and we add that to the clan total. Now, it rounds down. So let's say that you have 5,103 trophies. This is going to say at 50%, you have 2,551.5. The 0.5 is dropped, and we would take 2,551 and add that to the total for the clan. We do that for the top 10 people in the clan. 50% of your trophy count goes toward a communal pile when rounded down to the nearest integer. The next 10 players, we take 25% of their trophy count. So if you have a 4,000 trophy person who's sitting in the 11th highest trophies in the clan, 1,000 of those trophies will count toward the total team trophy count. The next 10, so persons 21 through 30, we only take 12% of their trophies and add that to the total. Persons 31 to 40, we take 10% of their trophies, and the bottom 10 people in the clan, we only take 3% of their trophies. So essentially what's happening is a much higher focus is being placed on the upper end of the clan, so it's a little bit different than simply summing up all of the people in the clan, because maybe you've only got 46 people or 42 people. The bottom 10 players really don't actually contribute that much to the total. So here's a fun thing to do. And I don't know if you were keeping track of this, but if you take 50% plus 25% plus 12 plus 10 plus 3 and you add those all up, you will actually get 100%. Which, if you wind up looking at the clan and you were to say, take a clan of 50 people that all had exactly 5,000 trophies, and you took 50% of 5,000 for 10 people, 25% of 5,000 for 10, 12%, 10%, and 3% of 5,000 for 10, what you're ultimately doing is taking 100% of 5,000 trophies on 20% of the clan, which is basically going to say, if you say, because all of those, it's a just weighted probability, essentially, only we're looking at the value of the trophies, you would have a total of 50,000 trophies in the clan. So if every single person in the clan had exactly 5,000 trophies, your clan trophy count would be exactly 50,000, which is one-fifth, 20%, of the entire value of the trophies in the clan. Now, that math only works if everybody in the clan has the exact same trophy count. Like, if every person in the clan had 1,000 trophies, your clan trophy count would be 10,000, because you're taking 50% of all the top 10, 25% of the next, 12, 10, and 3, all the way down. Now, I actually think this is an interesting methodology that they're deploying here, because it, it essentially allows clans with incredibly high-value players to help drag the average up and the total clan trophy count up high enough to where even a couple more good people like 5,200, 5,300 trophies in the bottom isn't actually going to always swing you that dramatically. So if you had, for example, even the bottom, let's say you had a 50 person clan and the bottom 10 people had 5,000 trophies, they at 3% each, all you're counting is 150 of those trophies. So the bottom 10 people 
at 5,000 trophies each, would only be contributing 1,500 toward the total for the clan. So it's definitely much more heavily weighted on those top players, and I feel like that's a, a pretty interesting and reasonable way for them to approach it. The only other way I would have maybe done it is some kind of like multiplier on them. Like maybe you could have just said take 100% of the top bases, the top 10 bases, and or maybe like 200% of the top 10, and then the exact value for the next 10 and some portion down below. But that is how you calculate the total number of trophies for the clan. So try it for yourself if you're bored and you have a spreadsheet and you want to. Just plug in a column of the trophy count for your clanmates. Plug in 0.5 for 10 people, 0 0.25, 0 0.2, 0 0.12, 0 0.1, and 0 0.03, and multiply them out, drop all of the decimals, sum them up, and you will get exactly the total number of trophies that your clan has as a clan. I don't know if that was super exciting or super boring, but then we will move on now to the final portion of our show, questions from the audience. And I've, I've said this before, if you want to post any questions, join my Discord server. It's the Trample Damage Discord server. There is a channel in there called Questions for the Podcast, I think is what it's called. Feel free to post your questions in there. I do have a very big thank you that I give out to Liam Titan for helping me manage that list. I say helping me somewhat loosely. Liam has built a Google Doc with all, or a Google Sheet with all the questions in there, along with flags for which ones have been answered. And I just go in and I randomize them and I pull questions out and then I start talking about them. So today, the first question we're going to go with is probably the longest one I'll answer. It is from my longtime Clash homie, Congressman Coolrick, asking, when you first look at a base in war, what's your internal thought process? I'll be honest, my internal thought process usually starts with, I think it's a, there's a quote that I've heard, when, when the only tool in your toolbox is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. The truth is, for me, especially at Town Hall 15, I have an attack that I've been doing a little bit more recently that I feel more comfortable with, and what I start doing is looking for bases that fit that attack strategy. So like right now, I've been doing Hydra attacks a lot, so I'm looking for more of those diamond bases because that tends to be the best success that I have using the Hydra attack. The box bases, not so much for the Hydra attack. Ring bases, not so much for Hydra attacks. So I'll usually start to see if there's a base layout that's really good for me based on the army that I have been using lately. If there is not, then I start going into panic mode. Actually, I don't mind up panicking. I normally what I'll start doing is I'll take like the strategies that I am most comfortable with, and I try to think about how I could apply them to each of those bases. And I have like a mental benchmark of you know box bases are pretty good for a super archer blimp that is taking out the core, and then super barbarians that can come around the outside, keeping my heroes in toward the center. Sometimes I'll see a base where I get a lot of zap value because somebody was kind enough to put maybe like a scatter shot next to a monolith and a poison spell tower and i might think hey some lightning spells and earthquake i can take out some very high damage base uh defenses all with just a couple of spell capacity i will also sometimes wind up looking for exposed town halls where i can say are there sneaky goblins that can help me get to the town hall if i can use and you know Usually I like to – if I have to commit more than 25 sneaky goblins to the town hall, I start feeling like I'm probably making the wrong decision. 
Uh, I try to see if I can use Sneakies to get the Town Hall, because that could maybe open up a nice Hog Rider opportunity. Uh, I do like to be able to see if there's an opportunity for a Skelly Donut. It is a much more dangerous attack, but if I could get a Monolith and the Eagle Artillery and the Clan Castle with a Skelly Donut, I'd love to go for that. Sometimes even just getting the Clan Castle and a Scattershot, or the Clan Castle and a Scattershot with maybe even like an Expo or something, uh, that's one of the things I wind up looking for. I have such low confidence in myself using Lalo lately that I I don't tend to find myself looking for opportunities to use a Lalo attack. If I do find myself in a position where, let's say it's like there's a base design and I'm the last person to attack and a triple will win the war and any two star means we will wind up losing, and I think this is the kind of scenario maybe that Congressman Coolrick is really talking about here. Like when you have a base that you have to attack and you can start to customize, what are you thinking? Usually what I'm going to wind up looking for is obviously first, does it fit one of the primary archetypes that I've been comfortable with in the past? I am, you know, can, I, can I use a Hydra attack on this? Can I use some kind of uh, Super Archer blimp with Electro Titans? Can I use a... I like my, you know, a, whether it's a, a double Warden walk with the Apprentice Wardens into Super Bowlers or just a regular Super Bowler attack, or I will go for Mass Hog Riders. And usually what it comes down to is, if I have a base that's got... If it's a ring base, like I have like War is on the line, it's a ring base, for the most part, my level of comfort is usually going to be some kind of double Quad Quake, probably with a bunch of Yeti, or a bunch of Electro Titans or like Yetis and Super Archers, something where I can sort of swarm the base, pick up the Town Hall with a Log Launcher after having hit it with four Earthquake spells, and then moving through the rest of the base. If I do have a diamond base, usually I'm like, okay, I'm going to just make the best of this and I'll go with a Hydra. And if I have a town hall that's got an invisibility tower near it, you know, maybe I need to dump a clone spell to bring an extra freeze. Or if I've got a couple of air sweepers that are really clearly blocking the town hall from the direction I'd like to come, I'll dump a clone spell to pick up two lightnings so that I can put in, you know, take out one of those air sweepers. I do know that I used to very heavily lean into where can I queen charge this base so that I can make a nice funnel for some hog riders or a hybrid attack, but again, I haven't been practicing with my queen very much, so I, I don't tend to go for queen charge attacks quite as often. But that is the mental gymnastics I do when I am deciding what to attack. Uh, GCBC, good cop, bad cop, uh, one of the Crystal to Join clan mates. Can you please talk about where people go wrong when farming with Sneakies? My 13 gets hit repeatedly by them and they never get the dark storage. And essentially what we're looking at here is a, a question of how how people can most effectively use Sneaky Goblins when farming and can you describe what a full collector looks like? I will be honest, when you're using Sneaky Goblins for farming, and this goes back to my original question of finding ways to two-star consistently town halls that are higher than whatever town hall level you're at, Sneaky Goblins, literally nothing but Sneaky Goblins, is often a way to be able to secure two stars against a town hall that's even two or three or four levels higher than yours just because they are so easy to use. I think that when people are going around farming with Sneaky Goblins and they don't recognize the, the key indicators, I will say I usually look at Elixir Collectors because it is the most obvious way to tell where the loot is at. Because sometimes I'll look at a Dark Elixir Storage and I think there's not that much in there, but then I'll look at the Elixir Collectors and the Elixir Collectors are almost empty. And then you can also get this visual on the Dark Elixir Drill. There's a little box that sits on top of the Dark Elixir Drill that will be full 
or partially full, depending on how much dark elixir is in there. That's usually another good indication of how much dark elixir is in those drills. And if you can see that, number one, the elixir collectors are low, odds are the dark elixir collectors are low as well. But if those dark elixir collectors don't have much inside that little glass cube on top of them, you know you're going to have to get to the core, you know you're going to have to get the actual storage itself. And usually one of the best ways to do that is with some jump spells, some rage spells, and that will get you where you need to go. The nice thing about the sneaky goblins, if you're just using a bunch of them in your attack, you can easily pick off the town hall with a rage spell, you can wait and send your last push of sneaky goblins in toward the core, whether it's a dark elixir storage and a town hall, using your grand warden. You can, you know, snipe around the outside with a few sneakies, get a nice path toward the town hall, put a jump spell or two down, send in the rest of your sneakies, maybe one or two to test for traps. Then send your warden in alongside, drop a rage spell by the town hall, trigger the warden ability as they're on their way in. That's a really great way to do it. I don't love trying to figure out how much gold there is in the gold mine because it's got the little gold bucket thing that's on the front there. And technically that thing fills up more, but honestly, I have a hard time telling how full they are. I usually just use the elixir storage, or I'm sorry, the elixir collectors as my cue to figure out how much dark elixir is probably in those drills. Uh, the third and fourth questions are going to come from Mao Omega Shoes, which all has to do with streaming. The first question is, what do you think about Clash investing in random Twitch streamers? Is that the best new marketing idea? I will say... I'm going to say no, only because Clash is very particular about the content creators they choose to interact with. And I'm not saying that I'm like super special or wonderful. I do know that I'm relatively clean in my speech. And that's the thing is like there is a code of conduct that Supercell creators have to adhere to. And it is one of the most important pieces is that it's family friendly and honest. And there are definitely a lot of creators out there that are not even remotely family friendly. And there are ones that are not very honest, whether it's like misleading thumbnails or, you know, it's like clickbait or they will share stuff that's like leaked content they're not supposed to be or it's like um, content that's coming from like some kind of modded system and they're showing things that could never happen in the game right like using mountain golems in the main base and clash doesn't want to support that kind of content creation so i think them sort of you know saying like random Twitch streamers is very difficult because I feel like to continue adhering to the code of conduct that they want of their main creators, of their recognized creators, they probably would have to do a much better job of vetting those Twitch people, in which case there there are a lot of great Twitch creators that are in the creator program, just not necessarily with the same level of access that I might have. And eventually they will get there if they continue producing good quality content. There are a couple of Twitch streamers that I get a kick out of. Um, Hippus is one that that I see on TikTok a lot when I'm posting stuff on there. There's actually a lot of really good streamers on Twitch, and I think that there's enough that Supercell has that they can work with inside the creator program already that just picking random people maybe is not their best methodology. The follow-up question to that is, why wouldn't they add custom Twitch drops to Prime subscribers? And I will say, I have no idea, and I think that's an excellent suggestion, and I am going to wind up suggesting that in the creator program, because that sounds like a really great idea to help drive additional engagement for Clash of Clans. A question from Wheatley. What do you want BuilderBase 2.0 to look like? Uh, much like the question that I just answered about Twitch and streaming, I sometimes have questions sit for a long time before I get to answering them. This one obviously came out before BuilderBase 2.0 came out. And I will say my biggest thing that I wanted, and I almost didn't care about anything else, I wanted them to somehow find a way to get out of the multiplayer live watching, having to see what somebody else does. I didn't know how they were going to plan for it. I was hoping that they would have some kind of button that's like, concede this attack, or they would just 
let you make another attack that would pair you against somebody based on a certain number of trophies that you could potentially have. Because, you know, like, all of the attacks are within a trophy range. Like, you, you know, on the main base, when you're hunting for people to attack in multiplayer, sometimes they're people that are 200 trophies above you, or they're the same number of trophies, or there are a couple of trophies below you. I was hoping it would be something like that. I had no idea where they were going to go with the multi-stage. I think it's cool but I don't ever play the second level. Like, I literally just spam on my troops and then close the app. I think they've done a wonderful thing with Builder Base 2.0. It's definitely not where I would have gone, but I honestly didn't care as long... Because I actually... I liked the Builder Base as it was. I thought some new troops or some new defenses, you know, that would be cool, which they did deliver the Electro Fire Wizard. They did wind up adding the Ground Expo. But I just wanted to see it be where I didn't have to... Like, I like to spam my troops and then close the app and see what happened. And I hate having to come back on the game and be like, oh, good, it's the really, really very talented sneaky archer user who uses almost all three minutes every single time and consistently gets like 65-70% two-star attacks, but I have to wait three whole minutes of watching them do this, and I hated that, so I really just wanted them to get rid of that, and I, I think that's how I will answer that question. A uh, question from Scotty Ace. Why doesn't Supercell have an automatic max pack? I would spend a few hundred on that. So I will say I do not encourage people to buy bases online because clearly that violates Supercell's terms of service. What I will say is the reason I don't think Supercell wants to do that is now I could certainly see them doing some kind of like very expensive but aggressive item that would maybe upgrade multiple things or even like halfway to the prior town hall or some some kind of like cool super item but i don't think that the automatic max pack would make sense for them because what they really are trying to create is a journey and i think that if they wanted to have opportunities like they really want everybody to continue to spend substantially more than a few hundred dollars over the course of time but they want people to experience the ride i don't think they just want the money i think they are also proud of their product whether it's heyday or if it's boom beach or if it's clash royale i don't know much about clash royale lots of Clash Royale haters. I think they want people to also somewhat enjoy the journey. And I think that the uh, the notion of like very quickly being able to max stuff is something that even if it were to generate a decent amount of revenue for them, I think it would also discourage players a little bit more quickly. Because I know that a lot of players, when especially when they're maxed for whatever the current town hall level is, they start to lose a little bit of interest in the game. And I think that that notion of being able to max a base, maybe if you're somebody who already has a couple of accounts, they would offer that up. But um, I, I think that they just just would see that as flying too much in the face of the journey that they want clashers to go on as they are playing through the game such that they would never wind up doing it and if they did they'd probably wind up charging substantially more than a few hundred dollars question from void boy what are your favorite video games other than clash of clans my favorite video games are actually the tactical turn-based strategy games, so games like Fire Emblem. I have always been a big fan of RPGs. I'm currently playing a... It's that same sort of turn-based strategy game called Triangle Strategy. It's very similar to Fire Emblem. You have you know, limited troops on the battlefield. It's almost more like a chessboard. And all these games have different mechanics, right? Some of them have different levels of terrain. They have different types of magic abilities or or hand-to-hand -hand combat type abilities, various ranged attacks, various, like, troop, you know, character bonding type of stuff that could maybe make them weaker or stronger. But the Fire Emblem family of games has been my favorite franchise for quite some time. I also do really like games that are like i'm also currently playing diablo 4 i i've always enjoyed the two players sitting on the couch that dungeon crawler type of game my wife and i played 
the Baldur's Gate games, Champions of Norath games, played a lot of those games over the years, and I really enjoy those types of RPGs, in addition to the tactical turn-based strategy games, which I'm playing uh, one of each of those right now. And I think that when I finish up my Diablo 4 game that I'm playing, I'll probably get back to my Harry Potter, or no, the Hogwarts Legacy game on my PlayStation 5, which my wife got me for my birthday. But a big fan of RPGs, tactical turn-based ones. I love the puzzle solving. It's part of why I like Clash of Clans. It's just there's so much to think about, and it kind of like, you know, gets my, my brain power flowing. My final question for today, which we are well into ramble damage. My final question is coming from Liam Titan. What is the most generous thing someone has ever done for you? And this, by far, without a doubt, goes out to my wife, who put so much of her adult life on hold to bear and raise two amazing children, one of whom is about to head off to college at the University of Virginia, the other one who is entering her junior year of high school with a very significant lead as the number one rank in her class. She's on track to be the valedictorian. Both of my kids are amazing human beings. They're very kind. They're loving. They are friendly. They're funny. They're incredibly smart. And I could not be more proud. And my wife, we made a decision when we got out of college and she said she'd like to be a stay-at-home mom. And I said, I will do everything I can in my power to earn enough money for us to be able to make that work. And fortunately for us, that, that opportunity did present itself. But she has literally committed like the last 18 years of her life to rearing and developing these amazing children. She did recently finish her master's degree. She got a master of fine arts and she's a writer. And I'm glad that she is starting to take time for herself. Uh, we do have my father-in-law living with us, though, so she's also spent a lot of time, you know, helping him out and taking care of him, but she has done so much, and there is literally nothing I could ever do to repay her for the beautiful job she has done with our children, and I could not be more in love than I am right now, and I thank her as often as I can. I tell people all the time, I think of myself as a husband in the same way salespeople are like, oh, yeah, what have you done for me lately? My wife actually doesn't have crazy expectations of me, but I constantly think about ways that I can prove to her that I am worth her continuing to want me as her husband because she has done and sacrificed so much for our family and I will literally never be able to repay her. So the least I can do is continue to think of ways of reinventing a husband that she feels is worth all the sacrifice that she has made. So that is by far the most generous thing anyone has ever done for me. If you are still listening... Maybe you can comment on here. I don't actually know how that works. Otherwise, follow me on all my social media. Use code TRAMPLE. Share this with your clanmates. Tell them to check out Inside Clash because it's an amazing podcast. I really appreciate you guys taking the time to listen through this. I look forward to seeing you guys on the next podcast. And in the meantime, keep clashing. And remember, you are doing great.